today. Last week, last week we kicked off this series, the story we find ourselves in, and we're we're just kind of talking about what it, what does it mean to live in a world where sometimes we hear this message, but maybe God's story is a little different. And so last week we talked about who we are in that story and how Jesus believes that we can be like Him, that He believes we can do it, and we talked about that just believing that takes takes a leap. It takes a leap of faith to follow Jesus, to really walk in that way. And, and so this week, I want to talk about what does it look like to take that leap? What's it look like to take that jump? And so we're going to jump into this story, as I mentioned, of David and Goliath in just a second. But here's the thing. I, I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, I've, I've preached a lot in my life, and this is one of the more pastoral kind of sermons I'm ever going to give. I'm going to speak really truthfully and a little bit painfully, I think, because the invitation that is here in this story, it's a story that invites us into courage, to overcoming our fears, to moving past ourselves, and maybe even for some of us, overcoming the fear of what God might call us and invite us into. So I'm going to pray one more time as we begin, and then we'll jump into the passage. So let's pray together. God, we just we want to pause and invite your spirit, the true teacher, to come and teach us. God, we pray that you would invite us today into a level of living that we don't know how, how to live yet. God, I pray that you would invite us into a a level of dreaming that we can't even imagine. I pray that you would invite us into a a level of life of believing that maybe we are not sure that we can really reach. I pray that you would call us into that today and give us your spirit, your courage to step into that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to... um, 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's going to be on the screen. And here's what I'm going to do. I normally don't do this, but we're going to read through a big chunk of passage. We're going to read through this whole story together. I'm going to read it aloud. It'll be on the screen screen up here. But if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn. And then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something crazy. Max isn't here, so I can get away with some things. Um, Our pastor Max is on vacation, so they, they let me preach today. So I'm going to do something crazy. Then I'm going to ask you what you notice in this passage. I know it's a story most of us have heard, at least the flannel graph version when we were in children's church or whatever. But I'm going to invite you to kind of read this story again with maybe some fresh eyes and just see what pops out to you as we read through it. So then I'll ask you to respond. So I really will, I really do want you to say something when I ask. So we're going to read through this. It's going to take us a little bit, but stay with it. And then uh, we'll, we'll jump into this and see what we see here. So let's jump in. First Samuel chapter 17. The Philistines now muster their army for battle and camp between Succoth and Judah and Azekah and Ephesdemon. It doesn't really matter how you pronounce those. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Let me just explain what this looks like just so you understand really quickly. There's kind of a hill right here, comes down, and the valley is actually like a really flat plain. And then on the other side is another kind of mountain. So in between is this long valley that's, a, that's very flat. A lot of battles in history are fought right on this very field. So it kind of worked out well because both people could kind of look at each other. Go ahead to the next one. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. 
He also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy as and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Next. Next one. Thanks. Uh, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Check this out. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Okay, great. Next one. Now, David was the son of a man named Jesse. I introduced him last week. Uh, an Ephraimite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time. He had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemia, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. Next one. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread. Carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. So David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelites and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. He's doing what he's told. Next one. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. The man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Okay? woo we would all say. <laughs> David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending the defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. Next slide. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked the same thing and received the same answer. Next one. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Next one. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from my flock, I go after it with a club and rescue it from the lamb's mouth, the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns to me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to uh, other things. Uh, I've done this to all those things. <laughs> <laughs> Both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he was defied, he defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord be with you. Now it gets great. 
And Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested. But Saul, I'm not used to them. So David took them off again, and he picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them into a shepherd's bag. Then armed with only a shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Next slide. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David that you come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the name of, names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give you the flesh, your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath yelled. Next one. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will ki- kill you and cut off your head. That's nice. And then I will give the bo- dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Next one here, last part. And as Goliath moved closer to the attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into a shepherd's bag, taking out a stone. He hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. Stone sank in. Goliath tumbled, fell face down to the ground, so David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. David used it to kill him, cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Okay, great. A lot going on in this passage. So what stood out to you? Really quick, just some, somebody, just raise your hand and kind of holler it out. What stood out to you, or what questions do you have? In the back there, yes. Hey, the two armies separated and staring at each other for 40 days. Yeah. That's no way to win a war. Right, 40 days... And every day Goliath kind of marches out and he's like one man, he's a big man, but stood in the way of something. That's great. Yeah. And here's David the Lesser being moved to the forefront once again. David the Lesser being moved to the forefront. So last week, what he's talking about, just in reference, he talked about David was the youngest. And when Samuel the prophet was supposed to anoint the next king of Israel because God had, Saul had turned away from God and, and so God said, time for a new king. And so he anointed David, but David was the youngest. He was the last one, and he was pushed forward again. Yes, Paul. The uh, older brother treated him with contempt and said basically worthless wife. And why are you even here? Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's interesting. How many of you have older siblings? Okay, have you ever felt that way? Okay, just, okay. (laughs) Yeah, who else? Yeah. Okay, good. That's good. We're going to talk about that. Great, great. Somebody else? Yeah. You said questions, right? Yeah, questions too. made Saul willing to put himself at risk of being a slave and all of Israel on one boy. Right. It's a great question. Why would Saul say, sure, you can do it? (laughs) Even if David was persuasive in some way, what would make you do that? Okay. Somebody else? Any other observations? This side of the room has been quiet. Anybody? Questions, comments, observations? Yeah, Katie. I thought it was interesting that even after 40 days, there was still running away here. Yeah. Usually after time, you get used to whatever. Yeah. Nine feet is tall, right? Yeah, but you're right. It's still, four days later, they're still trembling, still scared. Interesting. Why did he have, like, an archer just shoot him when he wasn't looking? Okay. Like, sense. Okay. Why didn't you just have an archer shoot him? Well... Probably take more than one arrow, but maybe you could do that. I don't know. Yes, Joey. But a tank would have been a lot more effective. Tank would have been more effective. I don't think they were invented then. Very good. Good. Some good observations. A couple of things I want to point out. Some of them tie into what you said for sure. So some great things. But 
If we jump to verse 15, if we can, Jared, if you can throw that up there. It's kind of interesting. One of the things it talks about, I want to hit on this because I think it's really important. In here it talks about um, David's going back and forth. Okay, is this, that David's going back and forth, the very last, second to last line on the screen there. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep. So again, just to kind of pick up where we left off last time. So David was anointed. So Saul had, was the king of Israel, but he had begun to choose his way over God's way. So what Samuel, God's prophet, came, anointed David and said, okay, you're going to be the next king, but not yet because Saul's still there. So you need to go back to the field and start shepherding. And then something really interesting happens. In, in, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 18, we kind of skipped over this, but it's really interesting. Because God had left Saul, because Saul had chosen a different way, then he gets, this is kind of amazing, there's a whole sermon probably in here somewhere, but Saul gets really unhappy when he starts doing his things instead of God's things. And, and, and the people with him say, okay, here's the deal. Why don't you get somebody to come play some music for you that will help you? And he says, okay, go find somebody. And then, and then one of his servants says this in, in verse 18 of chapter 16. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a, listen to how it describes him, is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He also is a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. So apparently, David... Scripture later calls him a man after God's own heart. Apparently, David had been doing some things that were really important to God. Like he'd been in, he's in relationship with God. He knows God. He, he, he understands God's heart. He has incredible judgment. But not only that, he's also fostered the gifts that God's given him. Right? It says that he has practiced and he, he knows how to play the harp really well. He's a brave warrior. All these things. David has been faithful. I want to say something really important to you today. God wants to do some incredible things in this world through you. And I'm going to say this. God wants to do some incredible things in this world, and he will only do them through you. But you have to be strong. You have to be ready as David was ready. You have to be in relationship with God. You have to be ready to say yes. Another observation, if I can jump ahead just a little bit here. Um, verse 26. Jared, if you could get to 26 for us. I want you to see something real that stri- strikes me as I read this. How David describes Goliath. Most of you have ma- made some mention, several of you made some mention of how everybody's still afraid after 40 days of Goliath. What will a man get for killing this Philistine, ending his defiance? And then he says this. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Do you you pick up any fear in this? This is really important. In verse 12, when it first starts talking about this, when Goliath comes out, I don't remember this, but it says that Saul and his army were terrified and deeply shaken. Forty days later, they're still scared out of their mind. In the Old Testament, there's a word that's used for the Spirit of God. It's the word ruach. It also so happens that a lot of times in the Old Testament, that same exact word ruach is the same word that's used for courage. That's not an accident. Can I tell you, there's one constant. If you read through the Bible, if you, read, if you study Scripture, one constant, when the God's Spirit shows up, there's one trait that happens every time. And you know what it is? Boldness and courage. 
When God's spirit is with you, you have boldness and courage. And so the stark contrast that is in this story is really important. Saul, who had turned from God, Scripture said in chapter 16 that the Spirit of God had left him. What is he when he sees Goliath? He's scared out of his mind. What is David? He's a man of courage. He's a man of courage. See, in our culture, I think we live, by and large, in a culture of fear. And one of the things that that we see, I see all the time, I work with young people a lot, and one of the things that frustrates me the most is the way that young people are willing to settle, and really all people, are willing to settle. Let me tell you what this, let me just talk about this for a minute, what this looks like. We live in a culture where we constantly numb our fears. We turn to drugs or alcohol. We turn to bad relationships or drama, drama, drama. Right? How many of you are in a workplace where there's drama, 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 right? And it's not just because people are weird. People are weird. But a large part of it is we create this kind of tension around us all the time to distract us from the reality of our fears and the opportunities that are in front of us. I wonder what it would look like if we chose not to live in fear. I wonder what it would look like if we chose something else. There are things that God wants to do in human history that he will only do through you, if you're willing, if you're willing to walk a different way. We mentioned, somebody mentioned this, uh, I think it's the first observation, verse 28 is this critique from the older brother, right, from uh, Eliab is his name, and and this is interesting, and one of the things that you see in scripture as well, and, and I think most of us in life have kind of encountered this, when somebody is courageous, when somebody steps forward and tries to do something different, oftentimes other people don't understand, right? And you get this kind of critique that happens quite often in those kinds of environments. And then jump ahead uh, to verse 32, Jared, if you would. I want you to see David's response here. This is really fascinating to me. David told Saul, he said, don't worry about the Philistine. (laughs) For 40 days, he's been worried. Don't worry about the Philistine. I'll go fight him. Now stay with me because I think this is huge. On David's list of things to do that day, what was on that list? His dad told him, bring this grain and bread to your brothers, bring some cheese to the captain, you know, butter him up or whatever, right? Um, here they are, right here. Uh, visit your brothers, give brothers food. We found this list in the archives. Um, give captain cheese from dad. And then get a report from brothers to bring back to dad. That's, a, that's his to-do list for the day. You'll notice conspicuously absent from the beginning of his day when he plotted out his day was to fight a giant. In fact, if you looked at David's calendar, and we have found this, it's it's really long, So, but for the rest of his life on his to-dos, never is fight a giant. In fact, on his bucket list, fight a giant's not on there. You know, what's interesting is sometimes we see what's coming, but oftentimes... The opportunities that God has for us happens in the everydayness of just walking through life. You never know when God's opportunity will come before you. As I talk to young people, one of the things that's kind of interesting is they'll say, well, I'll be ready for that later when I get older. What about all the opportunities that are in front of you right now? I've been around the church my whole life. And one of the things, just to speak 
from my heart for a minute. One of the things that drives me <laughs> the craziest is people's unwillingness to step into what God has for them because I'll do it later. When I get older, when I get more spiritually mature, I'll... Why do you have to wait to be ready to say yes to what God has for you? Apparently, David is ready to move. I want to say something about this. Um, David, David goes on in verse 34 through 36, if you can put that up there, Jared. David goes on and he starts giving his resume, if you will. Like, okay, Saul, he's trying to talk Saul into letting him fight. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes, steals a lamb from the flock, I go after him with a club, rescue the lamb from his mouth. The animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, club it to death, you know, like you do. And I've done this to lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine, for he too has defied the armies of the living God. And then listen to this. The Lord, who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear, will rescue me from this Philistine. The Lord who has rescued me, will rescue me. I mentioned in in the Old Testament this word, spirit and courage are often the same. I don't think that's an accident. That oftentimes what we're called into is to live into God's spirit. Well, what's interesting is, I want to add one more thing to this. In the Old Testament, this word courageous, for example, in Joshua chapter 1, when God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. This word courageous is not just this idea that God's spirit inhabits you and that you can be courageous in that, but with it comes something really important, that with speed, that you would move with speed and urgency. There's an immediacy to courageousness. David... He, he starts laying out, okay, here's all the things I have. There's a, but, but there's an urgency and speed that David understands is required in this situation. Some of you may remember this. Um, of, several years ago, our church had a, a pool party at somebody's house, and, and we, were, we were there, and, and kids were swimming in the pool, and there were a lot of us adults around, and we were kind of watching. But one of the young boys actually started to drown, okay? And many of us had this thought in our head. We have to stop. We have to jump in and save him. In the time that I had that little thought, somebody else had jumped in and was pulling the boy out of the water that fast, right? It was, a, it was, a, it was another guy from our church. He's a firefighter, and he jumped in, saved the boy quick like that, right? And so later, like, I'm just, no, you know, slow motion, and he was in and out, and it was done, you know? And so later, we were just talking to him, and I said, David, what, how did you do this? How did you move so fast? And he said, oh, that's easy. He said, because I'd already thought, what would I do if? I had already thought, what would I do if? Would I be willing? How will I do this? How will I handle this? And this is the truth for many of us, that we live life reacting to things, and we haven't asked God, what if you open this door? Will I be willing and ready to say yes? There's a speed that courageousness requires. There's a church I know. Um, I've visited there a couple times. It's in Los Angeles. And um, it's really interesting. They have a very diverse people who come to their church in terms of uh, racial and ethnicity. There are people from all over the world. Of course, it's Los Angeles, so not a big surprise there. And in that church are all kinds of people. They're artists and doctors and all, all these things. And one Sunday I was there visiting, and the pastor stood up, and I'm, 
I couldn't believe this, okay? But he literally stood up and he said this. Okay, we have a real, the very end of service, we have a very big need. We have a mission that we're, we work with that's in um, El Salvador, which is in, not in America, for those of you who went to public school. Uh, <laughs> who went, it's in El Salvador. We have this mission that we work with, and they are in desperate need of starting a health clinic there. And what we need is we need two doctors and probably four or five nurses to volunteer to say they're willing to move down there for six months and help start this health clinic. Who will volunteer to go? Mike, Mike's ready to go. That morning, four doctors stood up, 10 nurses stood up, said, we are ready to go. What if we had already said yes to the opportunities God has for us? What if we understood that sometimes what's required is speed? Uh, can you put that scripture back up again? Verse 37 there. It's important though here, really important and I mentioned this briefly, the Lord who rescued me will rescue me. Who gets the credit? In David's, in David's encounters, who gets the credit for the rescue? He doesn't say, you know what I did? Let me tell you how great I am. The Lord who rescued me will rescue me. When we walk in God's courage... God tells us something entirely different than the rest of the world tells us. He tells us that the, this life is not about you. It's about me. Stay with me. This is really important. Maybe courage isn't the absence of fear. Maybe courage is the absence of ourselves. Maybe courage isn't just not being afraid of things. Maybe courage is just being willing to put ourselves aside. Maybe courage is about dying to ourselves. And then go to the next uh, 38, please, and through 40 there. Saul tries to give David his armor. (laughs) And David says this doesn't fit. This is really interesting. Because what Saul tries to do to David is he tries to make him look like a, a person of courage on the outside. But here's the thing. Courage is an inside-out experience. This is really important. Courage is an inside-out experience. In other words, it starts with our willingness to submit ourselves to God. Our willingness to say, God, I know that I have desires. I know I have wants, but I'm willing to put those aside for what you want. Courage comes, it starts on the inside. This is an inside-out experience. Again, we've talked about this. In David's life, he had already said, God, he's already taken the leap to say, I'll follow you where you call me to go. He's already said, God, I'll be prayed up. God, he's been in God's word, right? He's already ready, right? And it's interesting here that he's died to himself. He's willing to do that. And then with that comes some confidence. Now, it says that he picked up five smooth stones. Now, we don't really know why he picked up five smooth stones. There are a lot of different reasons, but... I have a, something some scholars agree with me, some scholars believe other things, but, but we're told at the very end of 2 Samuel about that Goliath had four relatives that were also giants. Now, can you imagine the courage of this boy to say, oh, he's got four brothers. I'm going to need five stones. Why? 
Not because I'm so great. Why? Because the Lord who rescues me will rescue me again. He's willing to die to himself. He's willing to move past his own fears and concerns to say yes to what God has for him so that he can do what God has gifted and called him to do in that moment, in that time. How do I start walking in courage? Can I just say, it's really pretty simple to start with. It's it's simply this. Everything that you know is right to do, do it. Quit playing around. Some of us are really good. We know the game. We can look good when we're supposed to look good. We know how to use the right words at the right times. We know how to talk about, you know, oh, God's doing something in my life. We know the language, and, the, and we, show up, we can show up on Sundays, and we dress up and, and look like we've got. But some of us, just to be really frank, we have one or two things that we're just kind of holding on to that are our things that we think maybe nobody else knows about or we think aren't that big of a deal, and we're kind of playing some games. Can I be honest? And I'll just name some things, and if this is you, I'm, I haven't looked into your life at all, and I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to name some things that I know are, are out there. For some people, there's this thing called pornography. In fact, statistics tell us that it's the problem in the church, in the world. It doesn't matter your, your social status. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter that this is the... For some of us, this is the problem, right? That we have this little thing that we can do in secret and we just kind of hide it. But we're, we're not giving ourselves to God fully. For some of us, it's other things. Maybe it's, it's the way we handle our money. And maybe there's some ways we just really like having this security. And, and maybe we're unwilling to give God what he's asked us to give. For some of us, maybe it's in our relationships. Maybe we're, we're a little abusive if we're honest. Maybe not physically, but maybe with our words. That maybe we don't treat people very well, and we think, well, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. I don't know. I don't know what it. Maybe maybe it's nothing for you. But I, I believe that many people are called to follow what God has for them, and and a big part of it just starts with doing what's right and doing it with everything you have. Another really easy thing is just to submit to what God, the, whatever passion and path God has put in front of you, walk it. Just walk it. Just start taking those steps. Be ready to say yes. And then, of course, we know the rest of the story here. David wins. Now, I want to I point out something that's glaringly obvious in this passage that's missing. David, went, from the moment he says to Saul, hey, don't worry about the Philistine. I got it. I'll kill him. I'll take care of it. From the moment he says that, do you notice he never stops to fast and pray? He never says, I need to take a few moments and see if this is what God wants for me. He never says, I need to call a committee together and decide if, we, if this is our plan. Do you know why? Because he's already fasted and prayed. He's already asked God, what do you have for me? He's already been in the word. He already is in communion with the Lord. He already is living the best way he can. He already is giving everything he can to God. He knows what God wants for him because he's already said yes. He didn't know the giant was going to be on his to-do list. 
But he said already, God, whatever you put in front of me, I'm willing to say yes to. And so when that came up, he said, yes. I can't do it, you can. You will rescue me, but this is what you've put in front of me, and this is what I'll do. I wonder what things God's put in front of you. I'll said it said at the beginning, and I'll say it again. I believe there are things that God wants to do in this world that he will only do through you. question is, will you be ready? Will you say yes? See, it starts with this commitment to dying to ourselves. It starts with this death to self that is hard for the rest of the world to understand, but it's so important for us. But it, because if we're going to walk in this church, I'm just going to be really honest with you. People say things like, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And I understand where that comes from. But can I also tell you that it's the most terrifying place to be in the world too? Because sometimes what comes up on your to-do list is kill a giant. That doesn't feel very safe in the moment, I promise. Part of what God asks for us is to die to ourselves. And I wonder what that could be like. We live in a world of phobias and fears. Uh, The New Testament word, the Greek word for fear is this word where we get our word phobia from. We, we know all about fears. What are some things we're afraid of? Let's just let's say spiders. Anybody afraid of spiders? Anybody be honest? Okay, a couple. All right, snakes. Any snakes? Heights. Heights, a few heights. Public speaking. Anybody scared to death of public speaking? Okay. <laughs> Anybody afraid of failure? Okay. And dying, which kind of is failure, I guess, in some way. I, I was looking up, I was looking up, Fears, and I found this quote, I love this so much. Maybe you can relate to this. My greatest fear is sitting in front of thousands of people while somebody reads my Google search history out loud. (laughs) We live in a culture of fear, but can I say this? That I think that the era we live in, that the story we find ourselves in that the rest of the world has bought into is one that... We live in an era that is incredibly absent of courage. When I ask people, how did you make this decision? Whatever, the decision to marry this person, this decision, or, or how did you choose your career? Most of them would say, if they're honest with me, they'll say this. Well, to be honest, I kind of fell into it. I wanted to do this, or I wanted to do this, but I was afraid of what might happen if I failed, and so I just didn't do it. We live in this era of an incredible absence of courage. And I wonder what it would be like if if we stepped into what God has for us. Some of us are afraid to give ourselves over to God because we're afraid what God might ask of us. When I was in college, I joked that I changed my major a hundred and some times, right? And my first year and a half, I really did change my major a whole lot because I was trying to figure out what in the world I was going to do with my life. But it's no coincidence that it happened to be this Christmas break of my sophomore year. I was at home, and I was the one who got kicked out of his bedroom because when visitors came. And so I was, I was in, the, in my kitchen at my parents' house, and I was reading the Bible, and I was doing a devotion. The devotional book I was reading, this is no coincidence, talks about what it means to surrender yourselves wholly to God. And in this moment when I said, yeah, okay, God, fine. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of keeping some of this for myself. I want to give this all to you. In that moment when I did that, it's no coincidence that I felt very clearly a call. For me, this is my call to ministry and to work with young people. The next day I told my dad, hey, dad, guess what? 
I think I feel it's called a ministry. And my dad said, it's about time you figured this out. But see, he understood what most of us don't. He understood that he couldn't tell me. I had to come to a place where I was ready to give everything, everything, everything to God. I was ready to fully surrender everything, all of my own agendas, so that I could do what God wanted me to do. And when I said yes to that, then this call came, right? I wonder today what, God, what call God might have on your life. Courage is finally coming to the place where you care about something more than you care about yourself. You care about what God's called you to more than you care about what you want. It's not a place that's easy to walk into. So what does leaping look like? What does it look like to take this leap? Let me just give you some really practical things really quick that you can think about. You can put this up. I think I have it. Um, What does this look like? The first thing is simply this. I think I have it maybe. Very last slide there. It starts with preparing yourself, with saying yes to God. There it is. Just, Just saying up front, God, okay, look, I'm not perfect. None of us are. But I'm willing to try to walk into what I know is right today. It starts simply with that. The second thing is this. Go ahead, next one. It's dying to yourself. It's willing, a willingness to say, I know you may put something in front of me that I may not want to do, or I might be, to be frank, scared to death of. But I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to die to those things that I have. The next one, this is the third one, really easy. Say yes. Say yes now. Say, God, whatever you put in front of me, this is, okay, I'm going to ask you to do something absolutely nuts. This week, I want to challenge you to say this. God, whatever you put in front of me, I'll say yes to. I'll say yes to whatever opportunity you put in front of me to serve in some way, to care about somebody else, to do what you have, I'll, I'll say yes. Just, take, just make the choice now to say yes to what God might put in front of you later. I challenge you to do that. We're going to wrap up and, and, and pray together, and we're going to sing a last song together. But I wonder if maybe some of us in here might be willing to be honest and say, you know what, I am tired of being afraid. I'm tired of living my life in reaction to all these things I don't want to do. I'm tired of living in a way that's just about me. And I'm, maybe, maybe you're ready to say, you know what, I'm ready to die to myself. So Chris is going to come, and I think some of the musicians are going to come, and, and they're going to start playing. And I just want to do this. Okay, this is kind of nuts, but I'm going to do it anyway because Max is gone. Ha-ha. Um, I'm gonna add, and some of this I'm just kind of throwing at people, so we, we, can, we can do this, I think. But I'm going to ask a couple people if they wouldn't mind just kind of standing in the corner. So I'm going to ask the Davises or, or Katie if you wouldn't mind coming over here. And maybe the Lesages, if you guys wouldn't mind coming standing over here. And if you're at a place where you just say, you know what, I want somebody to pray with me about giving everything to God. Maybe, maybe you could just go to them. They'd be happy to pray with you. Okay? And, and we're just going to take a few minutes. So if you would bow your heads with me, I'm going to say a word of prayer. And if you're at that place, it may take some courage for you to step out. Maybe this is the first step of courage. But just to go to somebody and say, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? So we're just going to pray and kind of be quiet together for a little bit. And then after a little bit, we'll sing uh, together this song that kind of captures this. Will you pray with me? God, we, we believe you're up to something in this world, something wonderful, that you want to bring good things, whole things to things that are broken, to a world that desperately needs something better. And God, we're just going to, recognize that the story we really do find ourselves in is a story that God is working and wants to use
use us. So today we say we want to put aside our fears and our phobias. We want to move past ourselves and we want to give ourselves over to you. So I pray if if there's some here that, that, that need to pray this prayer, who really need to commit this way right here this morning, that they would go and pray, find somebody to pray with. God, I pray that in the midst of this week, you would help us to now say yes to what you opportunities you might put in front of us. God, thank you for your son, Jesus, and for his spirit that is in us that gives us this courage. We don't have to do this alone, that you've, you've brought your spirit to fill us, to give us power so that we can be your witnesses with our words and our deeds that you've brought us into a community like this one where we don't have to do this alone. So if, if you want to come now, you can come.